What I'd like to do this morning is just read through the entire psalm. It's only 12 verses before we uh, begin. Would you stand with me while we read? I'm going to read from the ESV this morning. And the title says, To the Choir Master According uh, to the Gith, a psalm of the songs of Korah. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. And they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, our God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. And behold, our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts, and we all know this verse, right, is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the, the tents of wickedness. And some translations say in the tents of wickedness forever. One day would be better. For the Lord of God is the sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You guys can have a seat. I love the Psalms. Um, they are one of my favorite places to go for times of devotion, and I actually have one tattooed on my arm. Some of you guys are looking at me right now like, well, I shouldn't have done that. Sorry, it's permanent, so you got to love me anyways, I guess. So let's look at verse 1. The psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 2 says, I long, yes, I even faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, my body, and my soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. The first thing that I notice when I read this psalm is that the psalmist has a hunger for God's presence. He has a hunger for the things of God. He's hungry. My dad has made fun of me my entire life for those words because he says that pretty much in every scenario, I'm saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So my dad always mocks me. And you know how when parents mock you, they kind of like make you sound way more dumb than you actually are. So my dad's like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. He always mocks me like that. And I have to admit, he's pretty on the nose with that one because I do find myself, and now my wife points it out, you just ate, I know, but I'm hungry. How could you be hungry? My, my in-laws are always making fun of me. How could you be hungry? The talk of our Thanksgiving dinner from my little cousin's table this year was, did you see Shane's plate? And then she was looking at everybody like, he's crazy. And I ate all of it, and it was uh, so good. But then I immediately had that, that post-Thanksgiving meal regret when it all hits you at once. It was terrible. But it was worth it. I'm not condoning gluttony from the pulpit this morning. So. But we all had Thanksgiving meal this uh, past week. Thanksgiving is, is one of my favorite times of year. Christmas time is my favorite time of year. I feel like most people agree on that. But Thanksgiving has just passed, and we all had a meal. And 
You know, Thanksgiving is a great time to get family together, to gather in a place as a family, as a group of friends. Friendsgiving has become extremely popular lately. And uh, now it's this thing where everybody comes together, and even if you're not family, just before Thanksgiving, you have friends get together, and you guys all share a Thanksgiving meal. So I had never done that, and this year I did it for the first time, and uh, it was great. But the only thing is, when I got to the real Thanksgiving meal, it kind of spoiled it a little bit because I had already eaten all the, the foods, the, you know, the, the green bean casserole, the turkey, the ham, that corn thing. I don't like the, the raspberry stuff or the jelly. Not my thing. How many guys like that? I know. I heard it's the stuff, but uh, I, I'm good. But Thanksgiving has passed, and uh, we've gotten together as families, and we've eaten. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I always come prepared for Thanksgiving meal. And what I mean by prepared is I'm ready to eat. I don't show up to Thanksgiving dinner not hungry. That would be a mistake. In fact, I think all of us would agree this morning that we wouldn't show up to Thanksgiving meal having just slammed a jack-in-the-box combo or a combo from Taco Bell. Now, I would argue that that's a mistake any day of the year because uh, Taco Bell is disgusting. But... And this is a, also a debate in our family, Del Taco, Taco Bell. I'm not going to take a poll, but I'm pretty sure the godly people will vote for Del Taco. Um, and so if we would agree that it is foolish, and it would be foolish for me to go to Jack in the Box, slam a Jumbo Jack combo with an extra large curly fry and an extra large soda, and then go to my Grandma D's house for Thanksgiving dinner. That would be stupid. It would be foolish because there's a better meal prepared for me at my destination. And the same thing is true for us this morning. When you come into this place, God has prepared a meal for his people. But my question to you is, do you come here this morning hungry? Or are you so filled up with the junk that the world has to offer that you're not even hungry anymore? Because I think that sometimes we make the mistake that we walk through those doors on Sunday morning and we're not hungry. Because we're too busy being distracted by other things, and we're full on the junk that the world has to offer. And so my question for you this morning is, as we look at this psalm, what does your spiritual appetite look like this morning? And is it a healthy appetite, or is it a poor appetite? You know, the Bible is full of very practical illustrations. I'm an illustrations person. I'm a visual learner. So I, my favorite pastors are usually, they're really, they're really big on application and they're really good at presenting illustrations in real life. And it's amazing how God has filled this world with tons of parallels to the spiritual world. Like our physical body is a very good representation of what our soul is like in a sense because what I feed my physical body will manifest itself in my physical body. If I constantly eat those combos at Taco Bell and Jack in the Box, I will suffer the consequences, especially when I don't balance it out with proper exercise and diet, right? And so, some of you are like, amen, brother. And I know that there are seasons of life where I've had better eating habits than others. I worked construction for a while, and my diet plummeted really fast because I was getting up every morning at 4 in the morning. We were demoing houses and Riverside County, and I would go, and you know, at 6.30 in the morning, somebody's using a jackhammer next to you, you're not thinking about meal prepping the night before, you're like, I need as much sleep so I can put up with this, and uh, I could see that the pattern of eating fast food all the time took a toll, I felt worse, I lacked energy, 
I was gaining weight. I was losing muscle. And that is so true of our spiritual, the spiritual aspect of our life as well. If I'm constantly taking in junk or things that are not of God, things that are not holy and pure, my soul will suffer the consequences. But the psalmist has a hunger for the things of God. Growing up, your parents would always say, don't spoil your appetite, right? And what they meant by that was, hey, we're going to eat dinner soon, or we're going to go get food soon, and don't eat that candy bar, or don't eat those Cheez-Its, or whatever you want to, whatever your favorite snack is, don't eat it, because we're about to go have something better. And my exhortation to you this morning is that God has something better than what the world could ever offer you. There's something better to be found this morning, but are you hungry? So we can all agree that it would be foolish to show up to Thanksgiving dinner full. Do we all agree on that? Okay, so this morning, we're going to call this Thanksgiving dinner. God has prepared a perfectly balanced meal and diet for us, and I want to be hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. Are you hungry for it? All right. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I want to show you guys an example of what can happen to our appetite. This is just an example, but we all know the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And if you don't know the story, I'll give you the gist of what happens. Okay, so there's a family. This guy, he's got some sons. One of the sons says, hey, I want my inheritance now. In that culture, that's like telling your father he's dead to you. Super disrespectful. Terrible thing to do. But the son takes the money. The father gives him the inheritance. Father's crushed. Son runs off. Uh, burns all the money on all the worldly pleasures, right? He, uh, there's probably sexual sin going on. Um, he, he embraces gluttony. He, he finds himself embracing all the things that the world would, would present to us this morning as people who are pursuing Christ as something that's appetizing. And he finds himself eating with pigs because he runs out of money, He's lost, he's lonely, and he says to himself, you know what, the servants in my father's house are doing better than I am, so I'm going to go back. So as the story unfolds, he goes back. The father, being a loving father, an example of the father and how he is to us, embraces his son, though he's gone astray, takes him back in, and they throw a party. And that's where we pick up in verse 17 of Luke 15. Verse 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, as I just said, at home, even a hired servant have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to even be called your son. Does that sound familiar? Gone astray, no longer even worthy to be called children of God, but he accepts us anyways. Look at verse 20. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, I love this picture of how our God comes after us. It says, his father saw him, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Now, this is where the story kind of ties in with what we're talking about this morning. Verse 21, it says, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer uh, worthy to be called your son. And the father says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have fattened we must celebrate with a feast. 
For his son, the son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. So here's the other son. He's been faithful to his father. He stayed home. He didn't take his inheritance, and he's worked uh, hard to respect his father and to serve his family. And he's in the field working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because he... Of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved. And, you know, we don't know exactly how long the son was gone, but it was obviously a good amount of time. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And, all, and in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and your possessions on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. And the father said, my son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. And we have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And that's where Jesus, who is sharing that parable, stops speaking. So the son is welcomed home. You guys can turn back to Psalm 84. But the brother is not happy. And I heard Alistair Begg, who's one of my favorite pastors, say, the problem was not the return of the brother. The problem wasn't with the father. And the problem wasn't even with the party. The problem was that the brother had no appetite. And similar to what we've been talking about already this morning, the problem when we come in here and we're not hungry is not with God. It's not with necessarily and hopefully not what's happening here. It's with us. If I'm not hungry for the things of God, the problem isn't with God. Or for our example this morning, the problem isn't the food. The problem is me. And I need to look within and ask the question, why am I not hungry, and what did I eat that made me full? Similar to a Thanksgiving meal, a good relationship between the one who's coming to be served and the servant, or the host, they don't meet just once a year. If they love each other, they probably have a relationship that's more active than once a year. And you could say that in relationship to people who come to church, they don't just show up on holidays, right? They meet maybe once a week because they love each other and they have a relationship that is ongoing. And I would challenge you that your spiritual appetite has to be fed more than once a week. In fact, I would even suggest that if you rely on just Sunday mornings to meet your need for your spiritual appetite, you'll starve to death. And you'll be weak. Again, a physical body that, that takes in proper nutrition and gets exercise will be healthy, will be in good shape. But a, a body that, can you imagine eating once a week? How many of you guys eat a meal once a week? Nobody, right? Because you know that you would starve. 
You'd be sickly. You'd be malnourished if you only ate once a week. And the same thing is true for your soul. How much greater the value of your soul being in a healthy condition. And you need to be eating more than once a week, church. If you're relying on the, the, the 45, if my dad's teaching, 55-minute sermon that happens on Sunday mornings to be all that you need for the whole week, you're fooling yourself. You'll never make it. And you know why I know that? Because I've tried to do it. And it will not suffice. I believe that God can do mighty works in this room when we come hungry to know him more. And I believe that he can do a mighty work this morning. But you need to be fed more than once a week. So be in your word throughout the week. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he doesn't stop there. He says, for they will be satisfied. That's a promise from our Lord that if you hunger for the things of God, if you hunger for righteousness, if you hunger for his word and you go after it and you get it, you will be satisfied. There is only one place that you will find ultimate satisfaction. And it's not in anything that this world has to offer. Now, it is believed that this psalm is penned by a Jewish man who was not able to attend the feast of his, of his people. And we know that the Jewish people have had it pretty rough. Uh, and in fact, after they were uh, delivered from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, they wandered the wilderness for how long? Forty years. That's a long time. That's a long time to be wandering people. But God was faithful to them through that time. And so now here's a man who's writing this psalm, and he's, it is believed that he's not able to attend the feast. So he has a hunger, a yearning, the scripture says, for the things of God. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, in verse 2, it says, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being and my soul, I shout joyfully to the living God. There's a longing, there's a yearning, there's a strong desire. The, the word in the, the original language is, it, there's this idea that it's an intense feeling. There's an intense yearning and longing for the presence of God. What do you yearn for this morning? I just want you to think about that. What are the things, when you look at your life, what are the things that you long for the most? Is it financial security? Is it success in the workforce? Is it retirement? What is it that you yearn for this morning? Is it ultimately the things of God, or are there other things that kind of slip into that place and take priority number one? What do we yearn for? Look at verse 3. It says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. He says, What joy for those who can live in your house, always, or you could say continually, singing your praises. The psalmist envies even the, the sparrows that are able to, to be near the Holy of Holies. And so we have to think about the culture that this is being penned in, right? So the, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, is contained in the Holy of Holies. It is a privilege to be in the presence of God. And I think that that becomes even more prevalent when we look at what people who were following Christ in the Old Testament had to go through. There had to be a priest. 
There had to be sacrifices. And God's presence, it wasn't like you could just pray to God and the Holy Spirit didn't reside in His people yet. God had not given the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we, we get in this thing where we go through the motions on Sunday mornings and this becomes dull to us. If you talked, I, I would love to see Moses' face if he walked in here on Sunday morning and you said to Moses, God's presence is here. Actually, His Holy Spirit lives inside of you. A first century Jew would be blown away by that because the rituals would be out the door. There would no longer be a need for the tabernacle, the tedious work of taking the tabernacle wherever they went and having to preserve the Holy of Holies and there was this perfect place where God's presence could be there and only the high priest could go before him. Do you realize the privilege that we have through the cross of Christ, we're able to come into this place and we believe through faith that God's presence is here and we can see him working. You can hear him speaking through his word. And sometimes we grow so, we get into this thing where we go through the motions. I remember playing sports growing up and in high school, the coaches would always say, don't go through the motions. And what they meant by that is, don't just be at practice and do the things you know you're supposed to do, but you're not actually putting in the work. You're not actually trying. The effort is lacking. And sometimes I think that we get to a point in our Christian walk where we start to go through the motions. Yeah, we got church today. Think about the Thanksgiving meal. Think about a guest that shows up and you've slaved over food all day and they're grumbling while they're there. Do you like that guest being in your house? You slaved over that turkey, you burned it twice, and there they are, and they start nitpicking your meal. I don't like this silverware. I prefer gold. I don't like this stuffing. We do that to God all the time. He says, my presence is here, my word is here, and I want to speak to you, I love you, and we start nitpicking his, his people, we look at other people and we judge them because of the way they're dressed. We judge them because they don't have a good voice while they're singing. We judge them because they're being too loud during worship and they're a distraction to us. We nitpick the things that sh- should be blessings to us. And we should be just so in awe of the fact that God's presence is here that we would just be overwhelmed with joy. But instead, we find ourselves in a place where sometimes we sit in these seats every week and we find ourselves not growing spiritually, we're not hungry, and we nitpick and we complain and we critique, and then we leave. For some of you, it's the time. Yeah, I'll give Shane 40 minutes, but if he goes 45, I'm out of here. Sometimes that's our attitude, right? The service was supposed to end at 1030, and it is 1030 and 30 seconds. What is going on? I see it. This room isn't as big as people think it is. Sometimes the last song starts and people are like, well, that's my cue. And they're gone. And I'm like, hey. And look, I don't take personal offense. If you've got things to do, some of you guys got to go to the bathroom. Let's be real. I get it. But we should hunger for the things of God. We should want to be here. We should want to be in his presence. It should be a joy to us. I'm not about pretending, okay, I think we need to be real this morning. We need to be real before God, and you need to be real with yourself and ask yourself where you're at spiritually this morning. Verse 3 says, even the sparrow finds a home. So we know that the psalmist, he's referring to the birds that are actually able to, they're permitted to have a nest near the Holy of Holies within the temple. He's envious of even the birds that could be that close to God's presence. That's the type of yearning that we see in the Word. But now, 
in 2018, it's not about a place. This building is just a building. And in 20 years, if we moved or if something happened, this could be a warehouse for something. It's not about the building. It's about the people that gather together as the, the body of Christ, and it's about who we meet with in the building. We meet the Lord here. And now I know that sometimes that language gets confusing, right? Because you say, well, if the Holy Spirit lives within me, then how do we meet God? Well, I think that even still today, there is something special about a place that has been set aside to meet with God for the people of God to come together. So do I believe that this building has special powers? No. No, this is just a building. But what makes it special, what makes it beautiful is when we come together this morning and we have a common goal in mind, and that's to glorify Christ, to know him more. Even Stephen says in Acts 7.47, The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? <coughs> and we know that if you know that story, Stephen would be stoned for saying that shortly after because the people didn't really care for it. And yet another picture of the heart of Christ. What does Stephen say when he's being stoned to death? Does anybody know? Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who else said that while dying? Jesus. The Bible is full of all these things that point to the cross of Jesus. Side note, if you think the Old Testament is boring, read it. Read the book of Genesis and look at the life of Joseph and how it points to the Messiah and your mind will be blown. I took a class in Bible college on the book of Genesis, and I kind of had, I grew up in church, and you kind of have that stigma, like, the Old Testament's just kind of boring, you know, and then I studied Genesis under, like, a really good teacher, and I was like, like, Joseph's life is a picture of the Messiah to come. It's amazing. That's just a side note. That had nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, though we are in the Old Testament. It says in verse 4, what joy for those who can live in your house and always are continually singing your praise. This is one of my favorite verses in this psalm. So what the, the scripture is implying is that the praise doesn't stop when we walk out the doors. But I think we make that mistake a lot. Now we drive, if you have to go home on the 91 freeway or the 15, sometimes your praise stops really quick when you leave here. Like within a few minutes, a few miles, you're, you're not praising anymore. I think that it's a struggle for us to be in continual praise. Paul says in the New Testament, I, I want to be in continual prayer. I'm still working on that one. I've heard pastors say that prayer ought to be like breathing. It's not something that you think about. It's just something that you do because you know you have to do it to stay alive. And I think that for us, one of the biggest challenges comes in verse 4. We know we're supposed to long for the things of God, but it's easier to long for God for an hour on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday night, we can long for football and dinner and other things, right? <laughs> and the list could go on, and you need to examine your own life this morning. And again, I ask you that question, what do you long for? The praise does not stop when we leave this place. Our hunger for the Lord will be revealed in our praise. You ever thought about that? I believe that more often than not, my hunger for the Lord will be revealed through how I worship. If worship to you this morning, and look, I'm a music director here, so you're like, no, you're biased. 
Look, this is what the Word of God says. Your hunger for God will be revealed in how you worship. Now, I know that I'm not the best, okay? And I hope that when we get to heaven, the band just blows our mind because I'm pretty sure it will. And I know that not all of you love the style of music we always do. Again, we're being real this morning, okay? I know that sometimes some people think it's too loud. But can I, can I just say this? In love, as many people as come to me and say it's too loud, I have just as many people coming to me and saying it's too quiet. I'm in a tough spot here, people. Okay? It's not an easy gig, and this is not a pity party. This is, I'm telling you, I have a perspective that's a little different sometimes when it comes to worship in the church. I've had the privilege of being able to travel a lot and play at a lot of churches, especially in Southern California, and I've seen how a lot of different churches worship. But I will tell you this. I have spent far more time than I would like to, and I'm sure there will be more to come, dealing with drama surrounding music in the church than I have spending time in conversation about how God moved, how he spoke through lyrics, how he spoke through the sermon that morning. I'm just being real. I've spent far more time dealing with issues because of people being upset. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty this morning. We all have our preferences. And I understand that, and that's okay. But my, my challenge to you this morning is that you wouldn't let your opinion and your presupposed ideas about how music or worship should sound determine whether you will worship the living God this morning. Because just like in life, my circumstances cannot dictate whether or not I will worship. Because my circumstances will change, but God will never change. And so there's this idea that there's a continual ongoing, unending attitude of praise. The style is a matter of opinion and taste. But God looks at the heart. And I also believe that worship is not, somebody's heart is not summed up in whether or not they're lifting their hands. I believe that you can be living in sin and ignoring the voice of God and look like a really good Christian. So please know that when I look out, I'm not making judgments based off what I see because I've learned very quickly in this ministry. I've been doing worship ministry in this church for 10 years. I've learned very quickly that there's a lot more than what meets the eye. And we have even elders here that they're very stoic people, right? Mike Rizzi, who I have great respect for, is a very stoic man. He kind of stands still and he just meditates on the Word of God. And then we have Chloe. Chloe belts it out, man. I love it. But I also love Mike's ability to just sit at God's feet. They're both good things. And so however you worship this morning, like I said, God looks at your heart. You can't fool him. <laughs> he already knows where you're at. And so this morning, if you're angry at the Lord, if you're frustrated with him, just tell him that because he already knows. We have to be real before the Lord this morning. Because I believe that we cannot have an attitude of continual praise until we surrender to the Lord. And I can't surrender to the Lord until I'm honest before the Lord, until I confess things before the Lord. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? You guys, you guys are with me? God's heart is pleased when this place is filled with people who come hungry and ready to receive what he's prepared for us. I want to be hungry when we come together for this meal. 
The type of praise that the psalm is referring to comes through a spiritual appetite, not an external stimulation. What do I mean by that? I mean that we could put on the best music, the best lighting production, because that's what it is. It'd be a production. And we'd put on all these things, and people could leave here unmoved and unshifted because those are not the things that actually matter. Are they nice? Sure, at times, in balance, at appropriate levels. (laughs) But it's not about a show. It's about our heart and where our heart is at. Does our heart yearn for the things of the Lord? I, I have never seen anybody worship the way that the people did when we went to Cambodia two years ago. We went to Thailand and Cambodia. And can I just preface this with, the people didn't even speak English. I'm, I don't know how to speak Thai. And I'm singing English Christian worship songs, and people are on their knees. They're, they're, God was moving in that place. And I'll tell you, the spiritual realm there is so prevalent because there's not as many distractions It's amazing when you take modern technology out of a culture, how Satan has to change his tactics. And so you see demonic activity right in front of your eyes. Church, we read about this in Scripture, but sometimes I think we forget it's real. And I know even for me, it was was eye-opening to be leading worship before a people that were so hungry and yearning and desperate for the presence of God that even when they didn't know what I was saying, they knew that I was there to worship, so they worshiped too. Here's my point. If you were to bring some Thai people and some people from Cambodia and Laos and bring them into our church, you know how they'd walk in? They'd walk in like this. Because it's, it's the, the churches that we met in, one was an old house, tiled walls. You snapped your finger, and it was like, just like an echo chamber. It was like an old sterilizing room and like a hospital, and then it was a house, and then they got it for their church. They had a sound system that looked like it was from the 1960s. It was unpowered speakers. I don't know if you even know what that means. It was old technology, okay? It was, like, so outdated, and the microphone barely worked. Like, the pastor had, I'm not kidding, the pastor had duct tape on the cable, and then he had to pinch it a certain way so that the signal would keep running through the mic. And the mic looked like somebody had used it as a hammer at some point. It was a mess, man. But let me tell you, as much as the tech was a disaster... As much as the room was probably not an ideal meeting space, those people had such a passion for God. And that's not to discredit what we're doing this morning, but it's to challenge us to remember the blessings that we have. Air conditioning. They didn't have air conditioning. And do you know how humid it is in Cambodia? It's terrible. You take a shower, which is always cold, and then (laughs) they have the water heater that never works attached to the wall in the shower next to the the faucet an electrical heater is in the shower with you while showering and there is a photo of a man being shocked and it says be careful (laughs) i got in the shower and i was like i will take a cold shower i'm not risking turning that on oh yeah the on switch is there too not like waterproofed or anything just it's on so you got to turn on before you start showering But my point is this, the blessings that we have can be so taken for granted so easily. They long for God's presence. And do you know why they long for God's presence? Because similar to the writer of our psalm this morning, in a way they're in exile. 
they don't have much. They don't have the, the pleasures and the, the ease of travel and the nice sanctuaries to come to that we have. But they have a true longing for, for the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but as I, as I get older and older, I realize more and more how much I want God to come back. And how m- my longing for Jesus to return grows greater as I get older. Because I start to become more and more aware of the flaws of this world and the problems that there are. I don't even like watching the news, but my parents have it on sometimes, so sometimes I see it. But it's just depressing. Anybody else with me on that? It seems like every once in a while, there's like a good story, but most of the time, it's like, another man was shot downtown in L.A. today. Oh, by the way, uh, this church gave $500. Moving on, and it's like, if there is a good story, it's like a little tiny snippet, and then it's back to like another car crash or another natural disaster or another terrorist attack, and the list goes on and on. And as we grow older and as time moves forward, I think it's easy for us to lose sight of the Lord, but yet I think our yearning for God should grow stronger as we look at the things that are happening around us. Alistair Begg said, It is sad how quickly we can, become, we can begin to take the privilege and the ability to commune with God for granted. We can become fault finders and complainers and critics and consumers, and we can lose the longing we once had for our sweet Lord. And yet, through every moment, God is still readily available. Have you ever thought about that? That it doesn't really matter what you're doing or how bad what you're doing is, God still is ready to forgive you at any moment. I'm not like that. And I don't think you are either. Can you imagine somebody who always hurts you, always does things that you ask them specifically not to do, and every time they do it, are you ready to just be like, it's okay, it's okay, I love you. It's okay, I actually already took care of it. I think God's the only one that's capable of doing that. I wish I could do that, but sometimes when people wrong me, that's not my response. And I don't know if I want to admit what my response is sometimes from up here. Anybody want to come up here and tell us how you handle those situations? No, we should come into the presence of God with a hunger and a passion and a joy and a yearning. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Men whisper their praises when a hearty outburst or a song would be far more natural. It is to be feared that the church of the present day, through a craving of excessive propriety, is growing too artificial. So that the inquirer's cries can, and the believer's shouts would be silenced in, the most, in most of our assemblies. This may be better than boisterous fanaticism, but there is much danger in one direction as there is in the other. For our part, we are touched to the heart by just a little sacred excess. So husbands... When your wife says, don't eat another piece of cake, you can say, well, Charles Spurgeon said that a little sacred excess is a blessing. None of you like cake? But Charles Spurgeon says that there are too many times where men whisper their praises when a hearty outburst or a song would be far more natural. I heard a story 
some years ago of a pastor who was not a pastor yet. He was a newer believer and he was in church. And the whole time that the music was going on in the church, there was this girl in front of him that was dancing and spinning around and flailing around and being a little bit of a distraction. And he found himself complaining in his mind and grumbling about her. And then eventually it manifested in him turning to his wife and complaining to his wife and pointing out the girl and grumbling about her some more. And, you know, the 30 minutes or so of worship went by and uh, the sermon happened and then the last song happened and the girl did the same thing during the last song. And he found himself so frustrated that after the service concluded, he went to the, the lead pastor of the church and he said, you need to talk to that girl. She was distracting me the whole time worship was going on. And he gave his case and he you know, did his spiel, and the pastor just stood there and listened and nodded his head and said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when the man finally stopped rambling and complaining and critiquing, and the pastor looked at him and said, hey, uh, I just want you to know that this past week, my wife and I were able to uh, rescue that girl from a life of prostitution, and she's a new Christian. And this man, who at the time was in ministry but not a pastor yet, said he started crying. Because he realized how much he had missed it. Because, you see, he spent the whole time that he could have been enjoying the presence of God and worshiping, so consumed and concerned about this girl that he missed it. That moment in time was gone. That opportunity for him to commune with God through music was gone. He missed it. Because he was too concerned about somebody else and what they were doing wrong. Now, I will be the first to admit that I have made that mistake. And I don't always come in here on Sunday mornings like, Woo! Let's worship, baby! No, sometimes I come in on Sunday morning and I'm like, Oh my gosh, where's the coffee? And then the band shows up, you know, and I'm like not ready. And I'm like, guys, I don't know, man. Like, you know, my heart is not always, I'm, so I think sometimes people are like, oh yeah, Shane's always worshiping. No, <laughs> I'm not. I wish I was, but I'm not. I'm human. Your pastors are human. They deal with the same issues that you deal with, the same struggles. And it's just as much a struggle for me this morning to come in here with this attitude. But, you know, last night as I was kind of finishing up my notes and stuff, I just kind of stopped because I was like scrambling. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what direction I want to go with this. And I think those last minute thoughts of like, oh, maybe we could do, maybe I'll just do a different book altogether, right? Start over. I could do it. I'll pull an, all ni an all-nighter. And I felt like the Lord just said, Shane, shut up. Because I think he says that sometimes. He says that to me. And I just stopped, and I, I have these nice headphones for leading worship. They're, like, really isolating, so they block all the sound, like dogs barking and brothers fighting and TVs. And I just shoved them in my ears, and I put on some acoustic worship. I like acoustic worship, too. I don't always like drums. That's another preface to what I'm saying. And uh, I just found myself 
it's funny how God works. Phil Wickham is one of my favorite artists, and I didn't even pick the song. I just opened my iPad, and it was on Spotify on an acoustic set of his. And the song is called Divine Romance. One of my favorite songs. That's probably why it showed up on the thing. But it's an acoustic set where he does Divine Romance, and he mashes the song up with Sailing on a Ship. And the lyrics of the songs are, For you I sing and I dance. I rejoice in this divine romance. I lift my heart and my hands to show my love in this divine romance. And then the next song, as he transitioned right into it, he said, I'm sailing on a ship that's bound for love. I'm leaving everything behind and looking on to you above. And I just was like so overwhelmed by the way that God will speak because that is the message this morning from the psalmist in Psalm 84, that we would so love God's presence that we couldn't help but sing his praises. Verse 5 of Psalm 84, it says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs, and the autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. And they will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord of God, God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer and listen to my cry, O God of Jacob. Spurgeon says, what a convoy to be able to travel with. As he looks at verse 9, look at verse 9 with me. It says, O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the, uh, in the homes of the wicked. Verse 11, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. And as I was saying, Spurgeon says in reference to uh, actually verse uh, 11. Spurgeon says, what a convoy to be able to travel with. It's like the perfect military operation. He's the sun above us and the shield around us. And there is a strong theme in this psalm, as I said earlier, of the idea of pilgrimage, of awaiting God's presence, and the, the writer is not able to make it to the feasts of his people to celebrate what God has done in their deliverance from Egypt and to remind them of where they came. And so he longs for that pilgrimage. You are a pilgrim this morning. We talked about how we watch the news and it's depressing. This is not our home. And again, I think that as a child, you think, you're less aware of the issues that surround us in this life. But as you grow older and you come to terms with death and suffering and the problems that this world has, you realize more and more that it isn't your home. Do you realize that there is hope in the idea of pilgrimage? I find comfort in the fact that this isn't my home because it doesn't stop here. This isn't all that there is. If it was, that would be kind of depressing, and I don't know why we would be here this morning. My dad often says, I'd be surfing, right? I'd be golfing. 
whatever you like to do, it would make more sense to be doing that than be here if this life is all there is. But the psalmist reminds us that there is this idea that we are pilgrims. Uh, Go back to verse 5. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. When you think of David and Goliath, what did David say to Goliath right before he slayed the giant? He said, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and then I will cut your head off and feed it to the birds. Very nice. But David understood that his strength came from the Lord. David didn't say, I'm going to take you out, man. No, he said, God's going to take you out, and then I'll cut your head off. David understood that his strength came from the Lord. And when David put his trust in the Lord to provide his strength, it led to victory. David's life also is an example of how when you don't trust in God's strength, you lose. I like David. Because I'm a lot like David. I have, I read through the Psalms like we are today, and I see Psalms where David's like, Oh God, you're so good. Your spirit surrounds me. I'm so overwhelmed by joy. And then you turn the page and he's like, God, where are you? Where'd you go? I'm dying over here, man. And that's how I feel sometimes. Sometimes I'm here on Sundays and I'm like, God is so good. And then I'm here on Sundays and I'm like, God, where are you? And I know that for you guys this morning, you're like, yeah, this is great. You know, show up to God's house, ready to go, full of joy, really hungry. Yeah, cool. I don't feel like that. Can I encourage you this morning to try to have a fresh perspective? Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and this has grown dull to you. You're sitting here this morning and you're like, yeah, that's me. This has kind of just become a thing that we do on Sundays. But spiritually, I'm not really growing. I don't read my Bible during the week. What giants do you need to face today as you're journeying on your pilgrimage? Some of you are saying this morning, I can't face my addiction anymore. I can't face my marital problems anymore. I can't face my singleness anymore. I can't face my boss or my coworkers anymore. I just can't face these giants in my life anymore. I give up. The only place that you will find the strength that you need to overcome those things in your life is the Lord's presence and everything that you need to know Him is right here. And prayer. Those are such keys to your spiritual life. And if you don't have them, you will starve. And that's why when we started out this morning, I said you have to eat more than once a week. This earth will pass away. And I love this quote. It says, We must constantly battle the disorder of our own affections. We must constantly battle the disorder of our own affections. Everything in your life will shove its way and try to take place number one. It will try to take the throne of your heart. But God is the only one who is rightfully supposed to be sitting on that throne of your heart. We have to keep the proper mindset that we are pilgrims, and as we come here this morning, God wants to meet with us, give us the strength that we need to continue moving forward in this life. And the last thing that I'll say is, really, I think the biggest verse in this psalm. Verse 10, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, a million elsewhere. 
a trillion elsewhere. Do you really believe that this morning? Or would you take all the pleasures of this world right now and forfeit your soul? Because we know, as the scripture says, a man ought not to gain the whole world just to lose his soul. This morning, I don't know about you, but I want to worship in a way that says a single day in God's presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. Better than a thousand elsewhere. And then the psalmist says, I would rather be a gatekeeper at your house. There's this idea there in the text that he would rather get a glimpse of God's glory every time he opens the gate. Go ahead. Right? He would rather get a glimpse of it Every time he had to open the door, he would rather serve as a servant, as a slave in his house, than be anywhere else. That's the type of attitude that if we as believers approach God's throne this morning and say, God, I believe that a moment in your presence is worth a lifetime of struggle. Can you say that this morning? Whatever you're facing, maybe some of you this morning are so done with the things that you've been dealing with in your life. You have this same sin that keeps catching up to you and you can't seem to have victory. You keep, you keep hitting your head on the same wall. Can I encourage you to take a different path? Get away from that thing that's causing you to stumble in your life because God is calling us this morning to be a people that are so hungry for his word that we wouldn't starve because of a lack of it. When you're hungry, you eat, right? Does anybody in here, like, they're really hungry and they just keep ignoring it for, like, days at a time? You're like, I should probably eat, but uh. no, we don't do that. When we're hungry, we make time to eat. And I appreciate the fact that you guys are here this morning because it shows that you're hungry. I hope you're hungry, and I hope that you're a little more full now. God is so good. He's so faithful. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who can replace hurt with joy. You are a God who can take the broken, fragmented pieces of our messy, messed up lives, and you can mold us into something beautiful, something that we could never have seen possible. Lord, thank you that a single moment in your presence can remind us of how worth it it is to keep fighting. I think of the words of Paul when he writes in 1 Timothy and he says to young Timothy, keep fighting the good fight. Keep fighting. And we know that Paul, some short time after writing those words, would die. A martyr's death. But he fought the good fight. And Lord, we have to be real before you this morning, and we know that this life can be challenging. Some of us this morning, this text to us is, is foreign. The idea that we're coming in here overwhelmed with joy. Some of us maybe have never even experienced that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh perspective. You would renew our hearts, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on this place and that we would be people that are so excited and hungry for you that we would worship you passionately, that we would meditate on your word and that we would meet with you regularly. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the life that we have because of you. We glorify your name. And as we close in some worship, Lord, I pray, some worship through music, that we would be in that place, wherever we need to be this morning, whether it's just at your feet surrendering things or, or singing with joy, Lord. Lord, we pray for that in your name. Amen.